Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting EXIT PLAN with no spaces to 44222. That's EXIT PLAN to 44222. Again, text EXIT PLAN to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Let me ask you a question. When you think of your accounting firm, your, your CPA firm, when you think of them, what do you think of? The partner for this firm we're going to talk about has built their success on providing every client with the value of experience. It doesn't matter if you're big or small. Their core operating philosophy means that they offer every client the same consideration and depth of expertise under a fee structure that delivers maximum value for middle market companies. Now, uh, some people say, well, my, my accountant doesn't charge a lot. You know, it's not about the fee. It's about the expertise and the wisdom that you're getting. So my next guest is, uh, is Wayne Pinnell, who is the managing partner at Haskell & White, which has offices all, all over Southern California. And uh, he became the managing partner in 2004, following eight years as a partner in the firm's Audit and Business Advisory Services Group. And as managing partner, Wayne oversees the overall strategic direction and operations of the firm while continuing to serve clients in his role as an audit partner. I'm very honored to have him back on the show today. Wayne, thank you so much for joining me today. Bill, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's always my pleasure. Uh, you, you guys do such great work. I hear so many great comments from from uh, business owners about the type of work that you do, and you're all over Southern California. Tell us a little bit more about Haskell and White and about the types of clients that you work with. Sure, and as far as all over Southern California, we, we certainly get around through the two offices we have, really, one in Irvine, which is our, our headquarters, the, the founded office, really, and our second office in San Diego, but our client base extends into L.A. County. Quite frankly, it extends up the West Coast and a little bit to, to some states a little bit east of here, but our clientele is, as you pointed out, is traditionally middle market, but it's privately held companies, it's publicly held companies along those lines. We also handle a number of nonprofits. So our industry coverage runs from real estate to technology, manufacturing, life science, um, a, a pretty good breadth of, of industries that we cover uh, throughout that process. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit, Wayne, about uh, preparing middle market businesses for sale. Because and for exit, I should say, because a lot of uh, baby boomers, of course, listeners of this show, are saying, "I know how I got into this business. I'm not sure, you know, the best way to get out of it." And of course, the economy is strong. People are saying, "You know, this might be the time to be exploring that this uh, seriously." Um, so, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, how a business owner would know when it's time to start preparing for their inevitable exit from the middle market business. 
Thanks. I'll, I'll try to do that. It really, um, I think a business owner should be planning ahead uh, as much as they can because uh, you might look at it, they're, they're going to exit the business someday somehow, and it can be orderly or disorderly. And so the, the best way to plan for it would be to have a solid plan in place that might contemplate several different structures, whether it's a, a family transfer because it's a family-owned company and there are uh, you know sons and daughters coming up in the business that could take it over, whether it's a sale to a private equity firm, uh, sourced through a deal through an investment banker, or even those that decide that their exit strategy really is to take the company public, all of those really should have a, a long-term plan in place. And in fact, I would say if you enter the business, probably a good time to think about the exit is when you start it. What are your goals really going to be? And, that, and that's, that's kind of fuzzy for companies or owners if they're going to be in there for the long haul, 10, 20, 30 years. Um, but certainly three to five years before they plan to get out of the business would be um, not too early to start planning how they're going to get out of that business. And um, let me ask you, because you know, in 2008, there, there was no E in the EBITDA. That, that means no earnings in the, in the formula. Nobody was making any money, so it was hard to sell a business because people were buying on multiples of earnings. Uh, and uh, things have changed quite a bit in the last 10 years. Uh, uh, almost everybody in business I talk to is very, very busy right now. Are you getting a lot more requests? Are you seeing that in the firm that you're getting a lot more requests for people saying, hey, this might be a good time for me to explore this? Well, yes, certainly, and there's there's really a couple of different things going on. As you mentioned, back in 2008 with the downturn in the economy, the earnings disappeared. Folks that were anticipating maybe selling in 2009, 2010 uh, lost a lot of value in their companies, uh, realized that they probably needed to put a little bit more blood, sweat, and tears into it for another few years, build the value back up, and so those folks that were getting ready to exit you know, 10 years ago, um, you know, they're probably really anxious now if they haven't gotten out. Meanwhile, people that were 10 years younger than them are also getting to the, the crest of their careers looking to exit. So you do hear a lot of stories out there about private equity firms having dry powder, meaning they've got a lot of money sitting on the side. They're looking to deploy it. Uh, we have been very active uh, with consultations with companies discussing their exits and actually have worked with a number of sale transactions over the past couple of years. But back to a prior point I made, though, if you wait until somebody shows up with an offer in hand and you haven't really planned for it, you're, you're kind of behind the eight ball getting ready for it. Really good point. Um, so at the intersection of aging and economics, uh, uh, where people are saying, you know, I've, I've I was ready in 2008. Now I'm really ready. <laughs> or, or you know, I don't want to. If I'm going to plan, it's going to be a five-year plan. I, I know I'm going to be ready in five years. Uh, and the issue becomes, well, are there enough? Uh, are there enough buyers? And and uh, or is it going to be uh, so many sellers that a buyer's really going to have a, a, a pick of a lot of people going up for sale? And so the issue becomes, as you say. You better you better have done your homework and get it ready so that when a buyer comes along and looks at you, they're not going to say, you know, this business is just it's sloppy. It's just not ready. They haven't been working with their professionals like at Haskell and White. They haven't put. They really aren't going to be uh, attractive to us. Um, so, what are some of the biggest mistakes and overlooked steps that entrepreneurs and executives miss when they're getting ready to exit their companies? Well, I think covering what you just said, let me put it back in a, in a different way because you hit really three broad factors of what's going to drive 
the right time to sell a company. One is if we're talking about a, a sole proprietor, family-owned business that's getting ready to exit, um, they need to be personally ready. And so, so one thing that's in there is um, a lot of times you'll ask somebody what they do or who they are, and they'll recite to you what they do for a living. And so, so personally speaking, emotionally speaking, they not, may not be ready to see the day after the sale, especially if they exit, because there's going to be a, a loss of identity that they need to be prepared for. Uh, second thing that was wrapped in what you're saying is, is, is the company ready, and I'll come back to that, because there's a number of things they can focus on for the company being ready uh, that'll assist through focusing on different what we might call value drivers. And then that third thing that you really covered was, was the changes and tides in the economy, because you might be ready personally. You might have got your company really in, in good form, making good profits, and cleaning up some other things. And you know we have another uh, downturn in the market, so we're the, there's no buyers that, that want to buy what you have to offer at that point. So, so from a long-range planning, the, the most um, perhaps frustrating point of that is you can't predict the economy. You can't predict uh, with any certainty what uh, the dollar is going to be worth, what your company is going to be worth several years out. But if you start planning now, looking at what truly drives the value, um, do you have a product that somebody wants to buy, a product or service that somebody wants to buy? Do you have an excellent mode of distribution or service delivery that is, you know, maybe got something a little bit unique to it? Do you have a great management team? You know, one way to measure that as the owner of the company is can you step away from the company tomorrow and know that the company will run and survive without you having your hands in it? Because that's what the buyer is going to look for when, when they take the company or take over the company from you. Um, you know, looking at you know the, the, the innards of the company, you know, is it is it got a good governance system? Uh, everything from its accounting systems to its its ability to maintain contract files, uh, meet regulatory uh, objectives, uh, you know, timely tax returns, complete tax returns, covering all the the various types of things, not just income taxes but payroll, sales, uh, you name it, special regulatory reports, and all that is all that stuff in place. Going back to what I said earlier, if that stuff is not ready, and I've had a number of clients come with, you know, I just got a call and somebody sent me an LOI, they'd like to buy my company. You have no time to address any of that stuff. You're probably leaving money on the table at that point. Yeah, and the the person that uh, is is looking at that company is probably going to look and see um, if the, some of these things are in order. So uh, you just you said a you said a mouthful there, Wayne. There's there's a lot of points in in that last segment, and uh, I think of it like a slot machine. Uh, we're all familiar with slot machines. If if all the the factors, if all the the cherries line up, then you, then you win the jackpot, right? So the three the three are personally ready. Is your company ready and in good order? And is the economy ready? If all those th- three things line up, then you have the best chance of winning the jackpot. If not, uh, you, you might get a quarter. Um, so, so here's the, here's the, yes, <laughs> the other spin to that too might be just the financial part because a lot of owners, I will say, have a kind of a an un uh, I don't know an uneducated uh, my, I'm sorry uneducated guess as to what their business is worth, and and so they they're expecting to get this offer that's going to satisfy them through retirement and beyond that is probably sometimes well beyond what the company's going to go for. So that's the other thing to really get in check is what is the possible sale value, and if you could figure out a way to increase that by boosting that yeah. E, as you mentioned before, just a little bit each year on a multiple basis. If you got a multiple of five to do simple math, if you increase it by a hundred, you know that's five hundred. You know it's uh, it doesn't take a lot of uh, 
extra brain power to, to figure that out. But it does, and it does bring in an interesting issue, and that is uh, to do that, I'm gonna ha- I may have to pay more taxes. I may have to increase my, my bottom line, which is taxable, which I've been running my business all my life to minimize that. It, there's a change. There's a transition that happens for a lot of owners. But my real question is uh, here is uh, when, when a buyer comes along, how much more comfort level would they have if they saw audited financials versus what we would call compiled or reviewed financial statements for that business? Sure. I mean, in in our business, obviously, the audit the the audit is is the premier service. I think that is where uh, the the highest level of credibility would be out there for a company to to be able to say they they go through that rigor on an annual basis. Uh, reviews are good. Uh, you know, audits would probably be great. And reviews are good, and I think compilations are really not worth a whole lot. Um, the buyer will see, okay, there's an accounting firm involved, but if it's only a compilation. And if you read that report, it really almost gets down to where it says the accountant didn't do anything except put some words on a piece of paper. Um, And by the way, I try to actively not sell those. Um, But reviews and audits definitely would push the the meter up just from an initial impression, if nothing else, that the company has gone through a little bit of extra effort. Can you sell the company without being audited or reviewed? Sure. But having those in place, having a having a uh, system, an annual reporting cycle, a series of those uh, for the last several years uh, certainly increases that credibility as well. Yeah, and again, in the uh, in the supply and demand world, so much is about the confidence in those numbers, and the confidence is heightened when uh, when accounting professionals have have combed through those numbers and, and verified all of those numbers. So there there's a comes a turning point for a lot of owners uh and uh one gentleman wrote uh, an excellent book uh from Mercer Capital about value he's a valuation expert called the 1% solution. He said there's there comes a point when you can make more money by by investing in certain things in your business as opposed to making more money. <laughs> and and the concept was there comes a point when an audited financial or, or uh, as you mentioned, you know, just upping your game in that area, getting your standard operating procedures, getting your people dialed in and, and maybe even your key people locked in to and past a sale are going to give a buyer a much more confidence that the business is going to sustain beyond current ownership, and that's where you get your money back. Uh, that's where it becomes an investment as opposed to an expense. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that's fair to say, and if, and if you really think about it, um, the buyer is going to get some money to sell his company. I'm sorry, the, the seller is getting the money to sell his company. The buyer is making an investment for the long term. They need a recovery period, and if they buy something that's not going to operate as good or better than it was under the prior owner, they're going to have a hard time recouping that investment. So it, it has to be uh, you know, well-run to be taken over and uh, advanced or grown or, or become even more profitable. And, you know, you know, another example, look as to people sell a house maybe frequently during the time of their lifetime, and one of the things they do in their home before they sell it is they, they will fix things, they will remodel things, kitchens and bathrooms, for example. should be doing the same thing with the business, and the business is probably one thing you're going to sell maybe once. I mean, it's a much bigger, much more complicated sale, but it's certainly worthy of the same attention for improvement. As uh, as managing partner of the firm, are you kind of looking into the future and forecasting the the number of these types of exit transactions increasing by some kind of a a factor into the next decade? 
Well, I wish I had as good a crystal ball as anybody else, and, and perhaps I probably do. Uh, but I do see that uh, this trend will increase for some period of time. I can't give you a, a factor rate on that, but uh, we do have aging in America. Uh, we see it uh, from a standpoint of uh, a lot of studies will say that the millennial generation, which is our next up-and-comer, is actually now going to be the largest generation that we've had. But if you think about the age difference between the millennials in their, you know, mid to late uh, 20s and the baby boomers, if you will, that are now, you know, hitting their 70s and beyond, uh, there's a there's a big gap uh, in between of maybe potential buyers because that generation in between is smaller. So I think some of these transactions are going to be a little bit more interesting. Uh, there might be fewer person-to-person sales, maybe more institutional uh, players involved, uh, maybe some more roll-ups. I think private equity is probably going to have another few years of, of boom. Um, all that tempered with who has the best crystal ball for what uh, government, social, economic effects are going to have on uh, all of those potential deals. Well, without climbing too far out on a limb and uh uh, one one issue or one trend that's that's becoming apparent is that as the baby boomers age, retirement and or like I say, I call it rewiring instead of retiring, is on their minds a lot. And uh, a lot of them may attempt to sell to that outside buyer, but maybe they didn't win the beauty contest because there were just too many contestants. I think Wayne, you probably hear now that like I do that uh, very few, maybe ten percent of people that go to a business broker or an M&A firm actually sell through that medium at this point, and that's projected to, uh, those numbers are projected to go even lower, so uh, as the number of baby boomers head to exit, there's only so many transactions M&A market can handle, and so um, my, my question for you would be, do you project or, or think that there, there will be an increase in the number of legacy businesses where buyers say, I can't sell, so I'm going to go part-time, I'm going to try to pass it off to my key employees or children? And, and if so, how can business owners prepare for, for that uh, type of a transaction best? Yeah, well, you know, that's you throw that back onto the list of potential exits. I think certainly family members is is a good one. We, there's a lot of family office environments out there that that own uh, businesses that have you know substantial net worth that have family up and coming. That those things do happen. Um, management buyout certainly that's not a new thing. Uh, I think a limitation that has to be dealt with on management is is the financing for management. So there may be some steps the owner can be looking at now as to how to do uh, an appropriate financial structure, which would need some advice from, you know, accounting, tax, legal, um, and the banking minds to try to put uh, something in play for that. Uh, We shouldn't discount strategic buyers, certainly. Um, I think a lot of folks might end up in a strategic play because they end up selling in a vertical chain with a vendor or customer they already have. I've had that happen a number of times over the last 10, 15 years where you might go out and source another buyer, but you end up doing the deal with the folks you know. So I think all of those possibilities should be perhaps on the table and maybe start Mm -hmm. ranking them out as to which are the most likely scenarios. Uh, There's probably some common, well, there's probably, there is common planning that can be done for any one of those potential outcomes. Yes, yes, good point. Uh, pl- getting started on your planning is the key. I saw an interesting speaker uh, long ago that talked about that uh, businesses tend to live in different value worlds depending on what their strategy, their transfer strategy is going to be. For instance, how to increase your value if you're selling to an ESOP or a private equity group or an outside buyer or a strategic buyer as opposed to selling 
or transferring to an insider group like family members or key employees. So it's important to get with your your professionals early and determine, you know, what 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 is your anticipated plan A and plan B for transfer strategies and start understanding how you need to position yourself for those. Wayne, do you see uh, 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 and do you facilitate um, having uh, te- the teams get together? A lot of times we find, we talk to a business owner and they say, well, my attorney's over here, my accountant's over here. They've never met. They don't really get together. Do you see that as a trend? I know you do that a lot with Haskell & White and try to bring the advisor team together to uh, to work uh, in a cohesive method for uh, uh, for the benefit of the business owner. Well, you know, I, I think it's imperative. Uh, the, you, you know, even if we're working in, on our accounting world only, if we're doing the audit of a company, another accounting firm is doing the tax work. That's that's also difficult. But I, you definitely, when you look at the the legal, the accounting, wealth management, wealth planning, uh, all those types of things. Uh, it's it's a great idea for the company to get its advisors around the table at least once a year, so everybody you know, has a check-in point and knows what the plans are for the next year, um, how they're all going to interact. When you get down to doing the deal, um, the owner's probably going to pick one of those advisors to be the the lead advisor, if you will, be the captain of that team to to make sure all the parts are working together. But the advisors in isolation, um, not a good idea. How many um, how many accountants do you have on staff at Haskell and White now? So we're we're um, a total of about eighty five people. So if you take our support staff of, of about ten out there, we've got about seventy five uh, client facing uh, audit and tax folks. Uh, roughly split fifty fifty between our audit and uh, tax professionals. Excellent. I always learn a lot uh, just spending a few minutes with you, Wayne. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. And I, I implore our listeners, uh, visit uh, Haskell & White's website. It's really easy, hwcpa.com. And uh, I would imagine if someone visits and, and uh, calls in and, uh, uh, and asks to speak with someone, they, they could get a few minutes with someone to explain their situation and see if they're a good fit. Oh, certainly. And, and there's certainly ways to reach us if you go out to the website that I appreciate you promoting. Uh, you can find drop-downs for our executive team. Our our, uh, our V-cards are all on there, so the numbers are out there to get us. Certainly you can dial the general number. In Irvine, it's 949-450-6200, and our reception there can actually connect you with anybody in the Irvine or San Diego office from that same phone number. And I know a number of the professionals over there. They are top-notch people. And, again, we go back to the value of experience, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, visit, visit with Haskell and White and really experience that difference. Wayne, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on once again and, and sharing your, your vast knowledge with us. It's really been helpful for our listeners, and uh, I hope we'll have a chance to talk again sometime in the near future. My pleasure, and I would certainly welcome that. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.